think another great problem within our country is uh, particularly perhaps with young people is the fact that everything's become so impersonal everything's so large and so big and you feel that you don't play any role anymore that you can't affect things you can't affect uh, what government does and it's so far away spends a great deal of money but uh, you are just sort of a small cog you have very little say in how a university is run or what you're being taught and you're just again a number in a university in a school you don't have any relationship with a teacher for instance for the individual now it's difficult for him to associate with anything or with anybody or any institution and therefore uh, he begins to move in perhaps a different direction That's the explanation, really, of the hippies. They reach the conclusion that they can't affect their own lives and they can't affect society. And there's a lot of terrible things they see going on within our own country and perhaps around the world. This distresses them, but they can't see their ability to change the course of events, so they turn off. They pull the curtain down and say, we're going to, we can't get off the earth, but we're going to leave it as much as we can. for instance, of black power. Many of those who were involved in civil rights movements, one race turns against another. One part of the population turns against another part of the population. You don't know where you belong in all of it. What you can do. What role you can play. What role you can play. Whenever we tear at the fabric of our lives, which another man has painfully and clumsily woven for himself and his children, whenever we do this, then the whole nation is degraded. We calmly accept newspaper reports of civilian slaughter in far-off lands. We glorify killing on movie and television screens, and we call it entertainment. We'd make it easier for men of all shades of sanity to acquire weapons and ammunition that they desire. Too often we honor swagger and bluster and the wielders of force. Too often we excuse those who are willing to build their own lives on the shattered dreams of other human beings. Some look for scapegoats. Others look for conspiracies. But this much is clear. Violence breeds violence. Repression breeds retaliation. And only a cleansing 
of our whole society can remove this sickness from our souls. For there is another kind of violence, slower, but just as deadly destructive as the shot or the bomb in the night. This is the violence of institutions, indifference, inaction, and decay. This is the violence that afflicts the poor, that poisons relations between men because their skin has different colors. This is the slow destruction of a child by hunger and schools without books and homes without heat in the winter. This is the breaking of a man's spirit by denying him the chance to stand as a father and as a man amongst other men. And this too afflicts us all. For when you teach a man to hate and to fear his brother, when you teach that he is a lesser man because of his color or his beliefs or the policies that he pursues, when you teach that those who differ from you threaten your freedom or your job or your home or your family, then you also learn to confront others, not as fellow citizens, but as enemies, to be met not with cooperation, but with conquest, to be subjugated and to be mastered. For all this, there are no final answers. We must admit the vanity of our false distinctions, the false distinctions among men, and learn to find our own advancement in search for the advancement of all. We must admit to ourselves that those who live with us are our brothers, that they share with us the same short moment of life, that they seek, as do we, nothing but the chance to live out their lives in purpose and in happiness, winning what satisfaction and fulfillment that they can. Tennyson wrote in Ulysses, that which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and fate, but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. Thank you very much. So, uh, my thanks to all of you, and now it's on to Chicago, and let's win there. Thank you very much.
the gun, the gun is pointed at me right at this moment. I hope they can get the gun out of his hand. <laughs> Be very careful. Get the gun. Get the gun. Get the gun. Stay away from the gun. Stay away from the gun. His hand is frozen. Get his thumb. Get his thumb. Get his thumb. Take a hold of his thumb and break it if you have to. Get his thumb. He's lying now with his eyes closed. Blood on the floor. Mrs. Mrs. Ethel Kennedy is coming in now. Uh, here comes the doctor. Uh, man, this assistant says, help Bobby. Help Bobby. Uh, who did the shooting? Does anybody know? Does anybody know? At the time of the shooting, I was not really in full control of my senses. I was operating under some mental, uh, mental deficiency. I didn't know that Senator Kennedy was down there at, at that night. I'm not a drinker. I can't tolerate the hard liquor, the cutty stock type of stuff. And I can't even stand the smell of it, never mind to, to drink it. And the Tom Collins is somehow more palatable. It, it tasted more like lemonade than hard liquor. And it was easy for me to, to drink. And it was a hot night that night. I was angry, but I wasn't crazed, no. I was not really, really out of it at, the, at that time. Although I, I was erratic. I tried to really show that the Palestinian problem did not just suddenly erupt with the shooting of Bobby Kennedy. There was a, a history to it that dated back to 1947, 1948, when uh, the state of Israel was created forcibly on the Arabs. And when the Palestinian Arabs were forced to uh, evacuate and uh, be expelled from their homes and lands uh, to accommodate the, the new arrivals, the new Jewish arrivals in Palestine. He was my hero, he was my champion. He was the protector and the defender of the downtrodden and the disadvantaged. And I felt that I was one. And to have him say that he was going to send 50 phantom jets to Israel to deliver nothing but death and destruction on my countrymen, that seemed as though it were a betrayal. And it was sad for me to, to accept and it was hard for me to accept. You know, what should not have happened in the Middle East in 67, that the Palestinians' rights would be restored to them uh, by Robert Kennedy and, and his like because of their concern for the, the, the weak and the, and, the, and the disadvantaged and the helpless. This double standard of the politicians, and particularly Bobby Kennedy. On the one hand, during the campaign, he was all uh, in favor of uh, of stopping the war in Vietnam. He wants to bring our boys home. In the next breath, he wants to send more bombs and more phantom jets to Israel to kill human beings, but Palestinians in this, in this instance. Suppose that you were a black or Hispanic living in America and had Robert Kennedy as your ideal champion, as your savior in America. 
And had you all of a sudden heard him say that he was going to send some 50 jets to destroy all the black or Hispanic populations in this country? How would you have felt and what would you have done if you thought that you could do something about it? If the man represented a threat or a potential threat that you never expected to come from that man whom you admired and respected and, and looked up to, then it, it does sort of make you want to look again at him and, and see why he wants to do it. To me, that was really the sense of betrayal that I felt from Robert Kennedy, that he was not really living up to the ideal that I had made of him or created of him in my own mind. You know, they say that, that I was lying in wait by way of, of establishing this idea of a design. And uh, I was not lying in wait at the time when Robert Kennedy entered that pantry room. I'm told that he was scheduled to traverse a route that was totally different from the one that he actually took. And had he taken the original route which he was intended for him to take, he might have been saved and he, he might have been, you know, become president of the United States. Why? Why couldn't I have been a little saner at the time? Or more in control of my senses? Or more mature? But that's, that's life. Senator Robert Francis Kennedy died at 1.44 a.m. today. June 6, 1968. He was uh, 42 years old.